Hello and welcome to the Room of Lives. I am your host, Neil. Today we will hear from Andrea Aramayo, who is a behavior therapist for autistic children. This episode is a recording of a talk by her that I organized, where she speaks with the university audience and takes questions. She first shares her trajectory to becoming a therapist for autistic children. Then she describes what autism is through the lens of the kids she works with and the methods she uses to work with them and their parents on their behavior issues. If you enjoy visiting the Room of Lives, consider donating Ether, Dai, or other Ethereum-based coins to abhranil.eth. That's A-B-H-R-A-N-I-L dot E-T-H. I've been working in the field for about three years, and um, my title is behavior therapist. And so um, I've worked with kiddos as young as one. The youngest kid I've worked with is 18 months, and the oldest kid I've worked with is 14 years old. Um, so still children, but there's there's a really large range. Um, like, let's see. Did not say this yet, so I got my um, bachelor's degree in psychology at St. Ed's, and I just actually got my master's degree um, from Ball State University. So I'll be sitting for my exam. From Muncie. What's that? I'm from Muncie. Oh, nice! Oh, nice! David Letterman! <laughs> yeah, no, um, so I'll be sitting for my exam to be an analyst. Behavior analyst is what I'm trying to be. Um, I'll be sitting for it in November, so I don't have a life for the next two months. Um, let's see here what I have written down. Okay, um, how I got into the field. Okay, so before I finished my bachelor's degree, I was like, okay, what, what population do you want to work with? You know, I was like, I knew, I actually bounced all over. I was biology, psychology, business, biology, psychology. So I was all over, but I was like, psychology. What population do you want to work with? Um, so I was like, I love, or I'm very interested with autism, very interested with schizophrenia. So I tried, this was the summer before I was graduating. Um, I graduated in August. So I was like, okay, schizophrenia, let's do it. These folks are awesome. They're out of touch with reality, but they're brilliant somehow. And it's genetic. I was like, let's do it. So I worked at this place called Bonaterra. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it or not. Um, but it's essentially this home for schizophrenics. And it's very private. At the time that I was working there, there were 15, 15 clients, I believe. So very private, large, like massive land. Um, and they all have their, they all, there's little buildings and they all have their rooms and they can all decorate the way they want. And um, we take them to outings, hang out with them, have conversations. I had some of the best conversations ever. Um, actually, one of the clients, my clients was 
the valedictorian of UT back in 79. So had some really great conversations. Um, and so, um, sorry, doing that guard. Um, had some really good conversations. And uh, so I'm working there. I realized very quickly that it's not, it's not for me. It's a quality of life center. So our job is to make them comfortable. Our job is to literally just have them enjoy their life because this is where their family sent them. And I was like, ah, oh, man, I don't, I could volunteer here. I'd have a good time hanging out here. Um, but I don't know about, you know, career path, career path wise, if this is what I want to do. So I, that day I was like, oh my gosh, no. So I started looking, okay, what, what other jobs in schizophrenia or with schizophrenic population? Um, there weren't many given my credentials. So I was like, oh man, okay, autism. I've always been like, what, what is that? Every time I ask that, I get a different response. Um, so I Googled jobs, um, jobs with autistic people or something like that. And um, there was a few that came up. It was like, um, teacher. I was like, no, that's not really, that's not really what I want to do. Um, OT specialist. I had thought about it, but then again, I hadn't. I didn't have my bachelor's degree yet, so I what's, couldn't really do. OT specialist. Oh, occupational therapy. So it has to do. We're actually in network with a lot of OTs. Um, they, if like a kid um, walks a little funny, we work with it. If they don't have the right motor movements to chew their food properly, they work on that. Um, so kind of gross motor movements, which are like large movements as opposed to fine motor movements, which, which I'll get into a little bit later. Um, but yeah, so there was that and I was like, thought about it, but I can't do what I, I can't practice practice right now. I can observe and I can volunteer, but I can't work. So then um, there's ABA, 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 ABA clinic here, ABA clinic there. And I'm like, okay, what, what is ABA? So I just YouTubed it really quickly, got it all together and applied to um, several different clinics here. And a lot of them required um, at least two years of experience with autistic children or your bachelor's degree. I didn't have either. So I was like, okay, well, hopefully I can kill it in the interview. Um, got a couple of offers. This one happened to pay me the most, so I took it at Children's Autism Center, still there. Um, so I took it and that, that was the, the start of this whole thing. Um, and with a lot of my um, colleagues and stuff, they, they stumble into it as well. Um, so it's, it's not necessarily a profession that somebody, now it's becoming a lot more popular, but even a few years ago um, that somebody looks for and tries to find, a lot of the people in the field were like, oh, somebody told me about it, and so I checked it out. Or um, I was talking to somebody interesting, and they told me, oh, you can work with autistic children this, this way. So you kind of stumble, a lot of us have stumbled into it. Are there people without degrees like yours working at the children's office? No, you need to have some sort of background. So um, psychology, child development, education we have actually. Um, teachers can actually be very hard, they can be hard to train 
um, because in the school system, I work in a clinic, in the school system, um, it's just, it's a lot different. They, it's hard to communicate um, with between analyst and teacher, and the teacher is dealing with so many other kids that they can't necessarily accommodate, and so uh, at one point I'll do my civic duty, I feel like, to work in the school system, but for now, oof, right, right now it, it's a lot, at least for me. Um, but, okay, so, have I gone over? Okay, so autism spectrum disorder. Okay, so you guys are here probably because you're interested in it. Um, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you hear autism? Anyone? Somebody with uh, like social, in social skills. Okay, right. A neurotypes book. The what? The neurotypes book. Okay. Yeah, okay. People can sometimes get overwhelmed by stimulus. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, not bad actually, not bad. Um, so, yes, it's called spectrum disorder for a reason. Um, for example, I have um, a six-year-old who, um, and I can't say names because of ethics, um, but he very has very limited speech, has come a long way, um, communicates with one words, um, one word phrases, um, and uh, we're getting him to start to play with kids, but he doesn't really want to do it. If it were up to him, he would spray water in the air or spit in the air. He loves to watch things fall. So he, if it were up to him, all day long, spraying water up in the air and staring at it. Spraying water up in the air and staring at it. Spitting in the air and staring at it. Um, we've actually gotten that under control, so he doesn't do that anymore. Um, so I've got this kiddo, right, who's six years old, and and really just doesn't want to hang out with people. And then we've got this other six-year-old who is very high-functioning, um, was given the Asperger's diagnosis before it was taken out of the DSM-5. Now it's all under one, one diagnosis. Um, but so you've got this really high-functioning kid, very intelligent, knows everything you could possibly think of. Or he wants to be, you ask him what he wants to be, he says an entomologist. So he he wants to be a that's that's what he wants to do. It's amazing. Um, can tell you about species of every spider, every the most common species in Texas, and he's I mean he's he's an amazing person. But we've got these two six year olds, right? Completely different, and he 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 can speak in full sentences. Um, but they both have the same diagnoses autism spectrum disorder. So it's, it's, it's really tricky. You know, you've got the same, same age, but two completely different people. Um, so yes. Is there a, was there a motivation behind like redistributing that categorization so that everyone falls under that? Like, um, I'm not too sure, um, why exactly they did that. They had, there was, it was broken up into several different things. So they also had like um, not specified disorder, autism, I think, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure. So I'll look it up for you and I'm actually interested myself, but, um, I was just curious if like there was maybe a certain reason. Yeah. Someone like, they were like, oh, it's like all sourced from like the same sort of, I don't know. Yes. Yeah. Um, no, no, I'm not too sure, but, um, they, they kind of encompassed them all. Um, I don't know. They, 
We still don't know the cause at all. Um, I've done lots of research on that. Um, it's all over the place, man. But I did read a lot of stuff that is um, has supported older moms, younger dads, older dads, younger moms, so a large disparity in the ages, um, which is pretty neat, but that doesn't, you can't, you know, put every case in, in there. So it's, no, not the cause. Um, so, what else have I talked about? I have two questions. What's up? Yes. I have more questions than two, but I Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so you said uh, this other kid, the high-functioning six-year-old, mm -hmm. was diagnosed with Asperger's before it was taken out of the mm -hmm. DSM. Mm -hmm. So I have two questions. Yes. What is Asperger's and why was it taken out of the DSM? I don't know why exactly it was taken out of the DSM, actually. Um, but Asperger's, your Asperger's kid is your Rain Man. It's your um, very, very well knowledge on a certain topic, but he still has the social deficits where he can't really carry on a conversation. Um, this kiddo, for example, a kid comes up and he's like, hey, like, what superhero do you want to be? And he's like, um, the bottlenose spider, you know, like name some very discreet little, and, and so he can't make friends because he, none, there's not other six-year-olds that know what kind of the most, you know, abundant snake here in Austin, because that's all he wants to talk about. So he keeps reverting it back to that. Um, but he's like interested in socializing or, or does he just ignore other kids? Um, he actually is. There's a lot of kiddos that, that aren't at all. And then that's where it's, um, we really have to take a step back. So we um, start by having kids play over there. So you play with your favorite thing, that kid plays with their favorite thing way over there. And then we start, you know, getting a little bit closer and then we start playing right next to each other. But still, you're playing with your thing, you're playing with your thing. We're trying to associate the kids with good things. Um, and then we'll put in a goal, um, something like accepts reinforcer from peer. So because a lot of the time a peer comes over, a kid starts freaking out, doesn't want anything to do with them. But one, one good step or a good way to show them like, hey, this kid is actually kind of cool is like, hey, wait, what's his favorite candy again? Or what's, oh, he loves that toy. Having another peer come over and just hand it to him. All he has to do is, is take it. So it's little steps like that where you get the kid um, to, to like and to care about um, other kids. That's our job is to pair them with um, good things, pair ourselves with good things. Um, let's see. Okay, some, some fun facts that you may know or may not know um, that I threw in here are that, according to CDC, um, autism affects 1 in 59 children in the United States. Um, and it is 1 in 37 boys and 1 in 151 girls. So we do, we do have a lot more male clients than we do female, um, at least since I've been there. And that's, that's, that's always... It's usually the case. Um, let's see. They have a lot of comorbid health issues, um, which is interesting for me um, because I'm. We have to stay in contact um, with other professionals. So they have um, GI gastrointestinal disorders. They have seizures, um, sleep disturbances. A lot of them, ADHD, anxiety, phobias. Um, so it's our job to 
it's important for us to say, hey, this isn't my area of expertise. I can't say um, you need to go see a neurologist. And then the neurologist and I will, or after I pass my exam, but the neurologist and my supervisor will be in contact and say, you know, hey, um, these are issues that you need to take into consideration before you apply whatever intervention you may apply. Um, let's see. It's present from early childhood, so um, if you don't know, you're, you're born with it. Um, and then the most obvious signs are between two and three, um, but diagnoses now are being given as early as 18 months. Uh, when I first start, when I started, which was close to three and a half, close between three and a half and four years ago, um, we would get clients, our average age client that would come in was six. We'd just get six years old, um, six year old kiddos and, um, and we dealt with it there and it was, it was very hard. Because if you think about it, you've got six years of behavior that's learned that we not only, we have to unlearn that and teach them to do something else. Um, so it's a lot harder. I, my supervisor um, is, she specializes in babies, so the younger kiddos. Um, and so that's, that's, been my, that's been my area for the past year. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, the babies, oh no, and I'm, ah, they're easier. I think they're a lot easier, personally. Um, I th my 14-year-old was actually probably the hardest um, because he came in um, at seven years old and he had had services, but like I said, it's so much more behavior, aggressive behavior that has gotten them. They just, he's, for, for example, him, he's learned that instead of, tapping somebody and going to his iPad and clicking this, 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 and asking for um, his popsicle, he can just look at you, stand over next to the fridge, and bite himself very aggressively. Because what does somebody do? Like, you just say, oh, wait, what is it? What What do you want? What, 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 uh, do you want this? Do you want, so it's learned. It's learned. He's like, I just, I'd rather, it's a lot less effort for him. Um, so... Yes. Okay. So, oh yeah. Good thing. Okay. So diagnoses are being given a lot earlier now. Okay. So like I was saying, um, where I started about four years ago, um, the, you know, my, our average kid is, is six. Now we're getting a lot of, um, assessments that are, we've got the 18 month year olds. We've got the 20 month year olds. We've got the 21 month year olds, which is amazing. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with um, fortunately the research that has come out that supports early intervention with these kiddos um, because doctors, um, you know, and, and I'm sure it was, it was part of the culture. I, I don't think they meant um, wrong or anything, but there, there was a very standard, oh, it'll come. Oh, your child is two and he's not talking, it'll come. Oh, your child is three and he doesn't look at you, no worries, it'll come. Um, it was kind of just the culture. And then um, a lot of studies were coming out, and it's like, oh, wow, if you get your kid an ABA earlier, you get a lot, you get better results, or you get them faster, and that sort of thing. And because of that research, um, now doctors are, um, before just saying, oh, n please don't worry about it, come back, they're like, oh, red flag, okay, yeah, let's, let's get you to a specialist, or let me talk to um, the neurologist and see if we can get you a diagnosis. Um, diagnosis. Um, I have a question about that. Yeah. About one in 50 kids today 
much with autism. And that, to me, says that one in 50 adults today probably would have been diagnosed with autism when they were children. Uh-huh. And they would have gone untreated now to adulthood. Mm-hmm. So where are those adults now? Have they, by and large, many of them gotten better? Or is it the case that one in 50, one in 100 adults require a lot of care? Are they um, in care homes or are they with their families? So there's a lot um, A lot of our parents, I'm like, ooh, you're you're on the spectrum. I'm trying to talk to you about your kid and you will not look at me. If you were to have a conversation with me, you say, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, he's doing, he had a good day. Um, he, and I'm like, and so, you know, I just naturally, you know, start looking away and I'm like, okay, well, how did he sleep? How did, but I'm like, oh, there's something here that either nobody talked to you about or nobody said anything. Um, so there's parents that they, they're, I think they're on the spectrum um, and don't say anything or aren't told anything, right? Um, and then there's, what was your question again? I guess it was two questions. One is kind of, does the severity improve in some sense without interventions, even if interventions help more? Oh. And also, are there a lot of severely autistic adults and they're just in care homes and we are not as aware of Issue. The issue is that there's not a lot of services for adults with um, autism, unfortunately. Um, so I, I told myself I would do this for maybe six years max, and then I would move to adulthood, because there's a big need for it. Um, unfortunately, that's not where the research is. That's not where, um, and because of that, that's not where priority is. So um, kids turn 18 and. Nobody knows what to do with them. It's it's really sad. Um, so I would say they're almost, I don't want to say undocumented for, but in a way they're not being, because there's not any services now, I can't imagine, you know, if you take your 50-year-old with autism, um, there weren't, there wasn't anything for him. So what's up? Is uh, Temple Brandon somebody who has uh, done work on, well, People who you know have to operate in the adult world and how they can you know find jobs or things which are. It, know, what 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 was the first part? Uh, I mean, uh, Temple Brandon, you know her. Uh, she's the person who, uh, yes, I think based in Colorado, and she uh-huh. has some uh, issues like that, and she has been um, given all kinds of talks. I mean, tech okay. talks and stuff like okay, that. Okay. Okay. Um. And uh, she has also advocated for jobs and kind of lifestyle things, like things that people can walk to or you can, you know, the types of words that they're doing. Yes, 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 yes. Um, yeah, there's... They help them give them skills um, to get, you know, your, your, your job at Hobby Lobby that you, you know, behind a register, but you learn at least how to kind of... Prov- People with sev- uh, adults with severe autism will never really be. I shouldn't say that, but it is very unlikely that they'll be one hundred percent independent. You know, paying their bill on time and paying and no, no, they're going to need assistance. Um, there's homes right now. Um, one of our clients. It's actually really sad. Um, he has very neglectful parents, and we've actually had to make um, calls to you know, 
services to say, hey, um, I think ne- ne- neglect is happening in the household. Um, I don't know if this kiddo's safe. Like he's one of, he's a client that would come in. Um, we've actually, he exited out because um, um, he was getting too old. Um, but he is a client where he would come in and we would lift his shirt every day and make sure he didn't have any bruises or anything. Um, but for example, parents, they, they, they didn't take the time to understand what autism was. Um, they, they didn't care that this, this kid is just, they were like, he doesn't talk to me. All he does is every time I buy him an iPad, he throws it out the window. And they were just very frustrated with him and didn't understand him and didn't take the time to. So when they went home, he would go into his room and just stim, um, which I'll get into, but it's repetitive, those repetitive patterns of behavior. Um, so he grabs, he grabs his, like a piece of string, like a shoelace or something, and just does this, and he does it all day long. Um, and so we tried to keep him, we actually kept him way longer than we should have because I think our owner had sympathy for the client. Um, but he is now, he's 14, right? And he's not required to go, or there was alternative routes um, for him, whether it be um, in-home therapy and stuff like that, but the parents put him in a home. So it, they, they just kind of chose to leave him out there. An interesting part is, is that when they turn 18, they're adults, and our ABA therapy, which I'll get into, um, it, for example, if you, if you tell them, hey, um, you need to clean your room, or hey, you need to, you need to put, you need to put this. Can I lift this? No, no, no. Okay. For example, <laughs> I almost smashed it to the other side. Okay. You tell him. You go. Hey, I need you to put this over here, right? He starts flipping out. Everything he can do to not do that because he doesn't feel like it. Doesn't want to. Doesn't wants to have control of the situation. Whatever it is. What we do is, hey. You're not going anywhere. You're not going to get any of these things until you put this over there, right? And we're trying to teach them you need to do these sorts of things. When you're 18 um, in these sorts of homes, uh, they're adults, right? So you can't make them do anything. You can't have them. So it it gets actually very tricky and very hard because you can't have him. You can't force him to go brush his teeth. You can't force him to wash his face. Um, So it gets gets very difficult, and I think that's why... um, there's not a lot of services because there's not a lot of services that can prove to be um, successful. So it's, 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 it's a problem. Um, but like I said, I'm thinking six years and then I'll, um, I'll do that for some, for some time. Um, okay. What is ABA? Um, really quickly, I'll, so our whole science, what we believe, is that there's four functions of behavior, right? So so there's four and only four reasons why you would do anything. Um, the first one is access to tangibles or activities. The second one is to escape. 
or avoid demands. The third is access to attention. And then the fourth is um, automatic. So it's automatically reinforcing. So your classic, um, you can think of masturbation, for example. Automatically reinforcing. So that's our science. That's what we go off of. That's how we handle behavior. Um, you have a kid who, um, say, I'm, I'm talking to you, and I'm really just giving you all of my attention, and I'm like telling you to give me a high five, and we're having a great time. And you're another, you're another autistic kid, let's say, um, who starts um, lifting up the table, and you're freaking out, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, what a person normally does, um, who's not, you know, practicing, will be like, "Oh, what's go wait? What's going on? Is everything okay? Can um, can I help you with anything?" Right. What we do is, we know it's like I'll look at you. You're looking at me. I'm giving him attention. You start flipping the table. I'll still be talking to you, and I'll say, "Andy, Andy." Andy, and until you say Andy, and you're calling my attention, you're calling for my attention appropriately, say Andy. Andy. Yes, what is it? What is it? What can I help you with? I want this oh, table moved. Cool. <laughs> right. So it's, it's like that. Um, or we'll teach them, um, if I'm a little bit closer, I'll do like one of these, right? And I'm still talking to you, and I'm still saying, hey, man, like what's going on? Like give me a high five. Give me a high five. They're, they're not getting it, right? They start going like this to themselves. They're not understanding. And I'm like, so um, so they don't have language, right? And so I'm like, hey, like, what's going on? Do you want this? Like, do you want this? I grab his hand, and I and I go, and I go, hey, what's up, dude? And so that that is kind of how we teach them, right? So that, for example, you're flipping the table um, for attention. Okay, now let's say you really, 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 really want to erase the board, right? So you're looking, you're looking at the eraser and you are flipping the table, <laughs> right? I'll, I'll be like, eraser, give me the eraser. And until you repeat, give me the eraser. Give me the eraser. I give you the eraser, you go up there and you yeah. go erase what you want to do, right? Um, so very, very, very clear cut. It can just last 45 minutes and it can be exhausting. <laughs> yeah, to say the least. Um, so that would be your access to tangible. And I'm giving you very, very, very clear cut examples. Um, I'll go into, I'll give you some examples where the functions change and then we have to adapt and we change it all. Um, so I tell you, um, hey, um, I'll, I'll be like, hey, will you go? Will you go open the door? You start, you know. <laughs> so I go over. I'd be like, open the door. Go open the door. And if I need to pick you up, I would come behind you and I'd pick you up and I'd physically guide you there. Perfect. 
and then and then we're done. So that would be the example of avoidance, and it can get really handy. It can get really tricky. Um, it can be exhausting to the back because you could be on the floor, which is what I was doing um, before this, and I'm just prompting you from behind, and I'm telling you, open the door, open the door, open the door. We're teaching them you can't get out of it this way, not this way, uh, because they've already once they go into behavior, it's like, oh man, you just. You just messed up. Like, you don't get anything fun anymore. All these options. And we, what we do a lot of the time is antecedent intervention. So we say, hey, um, so first you're going to go open the door, and then we get to go take a walk outside. So we do a lot of that. So we a lot of promises. Or they're playing with something, and then they're reaching for their next favorite toy. I'll be like, all right, hey, go close the door. Go open the door. Right? And then so we try to intervene that way. So we want to catch it beforehand. Um, but I'm like, you're reaching for the toy, and I'm like, go open the door. You start throwing a fit. This is like, I like throw it away. I'm like, this isn't a choice. I put it right behind me, and then it's like, go open the door. Go open the door. What's up? So, so it seems like a lot of these techniques um, and strategies like use incentives or or like there's like a mm -hmm. very specific mechanism. Mm -hmm. So, um, do you also teach the parents to use mm -hmm. these or yes? Okay. Yes, so we have um, our clinic now. When I first started, we did both in-home and in-clinic. Um, but now we have parent meetings at least once a week. Um, so they come in, and they observe, and we you know, slowly put them in, and then they practice. So they start, we start showing them, this is what we do, and now we want you to, we want, we're going to have you look. Okay, now we're going to have you go in and practice, and we guide them, and it's very hard. Um, for example, we were trying to show a kiddo we're like, oh, he's, he's awesome at waiting, where at first, when you first said, wait, 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 he starts freaking out, right? And I'm like, you need to wait. And we started at zero seconds. So it was, wait, here you go. Wait, nice job waiting. He's like, let's run. Wait, come on, let's go run, right? Then we go one second, then we go three seconds, then we go five seconds, then we're 10, then we're 15, then we're 20. Um, and so I had told mom, I'm like, this kid, I was like, he's waiting 45 seconds right now. He sits there and he goes, and he sits and waits. The same kid that used to scream wait. And they're like, God, what are you doing? Like, I can't, this, I can't even say the word wait. I just say, oh, uh, uh, one minute. Uh, and he'll be like, one minute, one minute. Like starts freaking out and they freak out too. And I'm like, this, he's three. He can't do anything. It's okay. They're scared, right? They don't want to upset him. Um, but for example, yeah, so, um, we were, the first step was to have them come in and watch. So we're like, hey, we're going to show you how we want to run the weight trials. So all we want you to do is come in and sit down. We're going to run it. You just, um, it's, you know, this was dad actually. Dad and the analyst, and then it's um, the client and his therapist. And he goes, um, he's like, uh, get bouncy ball. And he's like, okay, you need to wait. He immediately looks at dad and goes, wait, 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 where he hasn't had behavior in weeks. He hasn't had any issue with us, but because dad is there and he knows dad goes, oh, uh, well, wait, what is it? Here, here, just take it. He immediately looks over at dad and he goes, wait, and starts freaking out. And we're like, okay, this is, this is what we kind of thought would happen. So then we have to kind of pair dad. So, and you know, the analyst immediately was like, um, don't make eye contact, look away, um, and and that's it. And so he's looking at him, he's like, oh, wait, oh, 
like trying to do all these things. And 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 it's and Dad's like, are you sure it's okay? Like, are you sure? And it's like, he's fine. He's just sitting there. He's not. He's not in danger. He's not in trouble. It's okay. Um, and so. But we were we were honestly caught off guard. We're like, you're waiting for 45 seconds and you're killing it. Your graph looks beautiful. I'm such a nerd on graphs. So I'm like, your graph is like, whoa, it's looking fantastic. Um, and uh, so first step was, what's up? Quick question. Yes. So some of these other incentive techniques that you were talking about seems like you would have to tell them something, like using language. Do most of, most of these kids understand what you're telling them? But are they just are not really willing to follow immediately? Uh, so, so. So sometimes they don't know what it means. And we teach them. We go through We follow through with behavior and everything. But we're teaching at the same time. Um, sometimes they know, but they're choosing not to. So it can be both. What's up? So with these random tasks, do you also use tasks like that would be productive for them? Like oh, we always, we always try to do it that way. We always try to do it that way. Um, we just try to get many, many trials in. And if there aren't several occasions where a kid would have asked for something, we try to make something super, super, super fun to where they would want it. So we always try to go for the most natural occurring thing, right? So, um, oh, okay, here, uh, push your chair in. Or here, um, okay, here, go put your lunchbox up. Right, we try to do it that way. But if, um, let's say, because they're, they're two-hour sessions. Um, if, at, if at the end of the two-hour sessions, you only have three out of the five trials that you need to complete, we, this, these kids need practice. If it were up to me, I'd be like, 15 trials on everything. Um, but it, it, it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, so, yes, we try to make it as natural as possible. But if we can't, then we start creating these more contrived situations. Um, but for the most part, we tell therapists, try to make it as natural as possible. And do you typically um, just... How do you curate like the types of, of um, habits you're trying to instill? Like, is it the same? Do you have like, like a, a baseline that you want to establish for all like, children? Yes, like a, a client that will come in, like a brand new client. Um, we start off with, so the first step is behavior management. We need to get their behavior under control. Um, the way we do those things are adaptive skills. So that's things like wait, accepting no, transitioning, interrupting, um, things like that. So that's the first thing that we do whenever whenever a kiddo comes in. Um, and parents are like, we don't say the word. <laughs> they don't know. And so we had, a, we, had a, we had a client and we had dad come in and we're like, okay, come in. We're going to practice accepting no because she's doing really well here. She does awesome. Um, you say no, um, but you can have this. She's like, okay, and she takes it. Dad, dad, dad won't say no. He's too scared. He's too scared to say no. So we're like, okay, first things first, just say no. So we come, he comes in and we're like, we're coming in and she wants something and he's like, I, I just, uh, one minute. Uh, oh, 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 okay, sweetheart. Uh, we're like, no. Uh, one, one minute, sweetheart. Uh, hold on. So, just say the word no. So they the, won't the say it. So the parent is so, like, they're in, they're with you and they're like unable to have. Because they're, 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 they, don't, they don't do it. They don't do it. They don't know. They haven't practiced it. They're scared of the behavior. They're whatever it is. So, so I guess in the example you gave where like the dad came in, all of a sudden like the old behavior, like the child reverted to that, knowing that that would be effective on the dad. The first, the weight. Yeah, yeah the this weight. is a different client. Yeah, so, the weight. So how, um, 
how much are you able to generalize this behavior for new people? Like, do they do they realize that like you know most random people, like in a grocery store or something, mm -hmm. if they start to bite their arm, will will likely just react and not have this same measured response? Yeah. Wait, so we try to promote generalization, and the way we do that is having these two-hour sessions. So they have already three different people on oh, Monday, okay. Wednesday, Friday, and they have three other different people on Tuesday and Thursday. Gotcha. So we've already gotten it across two, four, six, eight, ten different people, right? So that's the way we try to promote generalization. Um, and then we do it in one room, and then we go to another room, and that's how we're promoting generalization and settings. Um, and then we have parents come in, and that, but that also has to do with generalization across people. Um, so yeah, so it kind of comes in that way. So the first step, we were like, oh, we're, we're not, because we were going to have dad practice saying, wait, we couldn't do that. We were like, ah, you know what, we'll save this for next week. Right now, all we need you to do is sit there, say wait, and him tolerate you being around. Um, the next one will be him saying wait. And every time he has behavior, it goes, wait, wait, wait. He goes, you need to wait. And he does it again. And you start the timer back over again. So it's like, it kind of works like that. I'll say that that doesn't happen very often um, because parents just tend to be very scared of, of the kid's behavior. They're like, oh, he grabbed my arm. I'm like, this kid's too. He didn't, <laughs> he can't really hurt you. Um, but then we had a parent who, she's been very interesting to work with. Um, it's actually the mother of the client that I was telling to stand up and early, you know, at the very beginning, which is why I was late. Stand up, stand up. Um, she, and it's not her fault, but she does not know what autism is. She doesn't get it. I, I've tried to, I've tried to explain it to her in layman's terms. We've given her literature. Um, we've told her, we've given her support groups and everything that we can. Um, she doesn't get it. And I think it's a little bit of denial. Um, and so we've got this mom who, this kiddo is, I mean, he has, he has zero skills. We've gotten him to, um, we're teaching him to sign. He, he uh, makes eye contact to request for things right now. Um, he has no language. So um, the way he wants something is you're holding something and he just looks at you. But that's amazing because when he first got here, it was all, what he likes to do is rock. So he likes to like sit up and rock and it looks like this, but he likes to put, he like, he has all like scars on his back cause he rocks in his crib. He has a very low functioning kiddo, right? And so he doesn't have many skills. We've gotten him, we've taught him, taught him how to stand up. We've taught him how to tap your hand if he wants something. We've taught him how to make eye contact. We've taught him how to play with something for two minutes, which is incredible cause he would normally play with something for the average was like two seconds, three seconds, drop it, go to the next thing. He didn't know how to play with things. Um, so we've got this kid, for example, um, who's very low functioning. And mom came in the next day and was like, hey, I, I told him to clean up his, I told him to clean up all the mess that he made and he wouldn't do it. So I locked him in his room and I took away all his toys. I was like, 
Oh, <laughs> he doesn't have, he doesn't know what cleanup means. He doesn't have those skills. You're not teaching at this point. You're, you're, it, it's punishment without teaching, right? Um, so that's, that's a situation where like the over punishment, I guess, first thing that came to mind. But I will say for the most part, parents are just very scared. Um, and, and you don't really run into that very often. Yes. As a follow-up, I'm somebody who uh, had a child like that, mm-hmm. and uh, <clears throat> they made great sacrifices, and they moved to Dallas to put him into a school where mm-hmm. he could go. Apparently, there were few of such schools. Uh, but um, what ended up happening is that their other child, who was normal, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, I mean, I'm kind of thinking that you know their parenting skills atrophied or they couldn't make the switch from normal to you know autistic child so that child ended up getting into trouble the normal child okay so i'm just wondering is there any literature on that or is this like a studied problem or how do parents manage you know yes dealing with a child like that to dealing with one who's one um it's actually funny that you say that um i'm thinking of the siblings um or of my clients personally, where their siblings are typical, and um, they have they get into trouble, they have hard lives. Um, I I don't know if you want to write down your email or something. I will look up the literature because I'm actually very interested to answer your question, you know, correctly. Um, but yeah, I think um, they 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 tend to give in because these kids are smart. And they, they, they push. And they know, they keep pushing until the parent gives in. So because of that, um, the, the parent probably does that with, with the other kiddos, right? So, um, so yeah. I'll write you, though, because I want, I want to look it up myself. Yeah. Um, you have as long as you want. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think we had a nice little talk just then. Um, I don't know if there's um, if there's one thing that I ask that you take from this whole thing is just to continue to ask questions and continue to, you'd be raising awareness in that sort of way. Um, the, the fact that we were getting clients at six years old just three, four years ago, and now we're getting 18-month-year-olds is amazing. That's it, because it's not, it's not a shift. It's a shift in every, it's a shift in medical, right? So doctors had to, doctors had to adjust and doctors had to um, change. And so there's a lot of a lot of things, but a lot of it has to do with um, people just asking, "What is it?" And it's okay that your that your kid has autism now. Now, what do we do? You know, because we have many clients where um, mom's on board, dad won't come in, dad won't make eye contact, dad won't look, dad doesn't think he should be here. Um, he's fine. He's fine. I'm thinking of one of my clients. He's he's just a he's just a little boy. He's 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 two and a half. Yes, he's two and a half. He's little. But the second a kid walks into the room, he throws a tantrum. That's not fine. You know, kids want, kids are interested in other kids. Kids, kids want to look back and, you know, and so, um, so I would say just continue to ask questions. Um, 
that that would be my I guess only request from you guys just to keep it up and just keep making it okay so that more research comes out and so that parents feel okay to talk about it um because it, it, it's it's an issue um even with um families of different cultures so we run into that um pretty frequently I I, I um we have a client um they're from Africa and mom tells everybody that he's in speech, you know, instead of AB, behavior therapy. Um, and so we run into that. And of course, the, the cultural stuff is, it's actually very hard. Or, you know, they're like, oh, well, he just, uh, we just tell him that. They don't, they don't want to say that he has autism, you know, because that's looked down upon in their country. And a lot of it's because they don't have research. They don't have services. Um, yeah. What's up? I'm curious about the, the diagnosis process. So mm-hmm. how, like, what does that typically look like? Um, and now that they're being diagnosed at a younger age, are there ever times when, like, you get a kid who comes in and they're like, mm, actually, maybe maybe it's not autism? I mean, in which case, it's fine, right? Because it's rather, like, false diagnosis and false positives are one of the three. Yes. No, no, no. Yes. Um, sometimes we get kiddos in and we're like, oh, my gosh, he has a lot, a lot, a lot of skills. He knows how to label 200 different things. He knows how to answer interpretable questions, which are things like, what's your name? How old are you? Um, things like that. He has all these skills, but um, he doesn't know how to maintain like a social relationship. So um, working, working on that. Um, what was the second part of your question? Well, so, so, okay, so maybe in that case, like, how is how maybe would that child have been identified or, or referred? Like, like, would it be like a you'd be just like at the doctor? Oh, how how back? okay? Yeah, like. Uh, it's it's all over the place. Um, a lot of kids are diagnosed. Um, they're being diagnosed early now, but a lot of them have gotten comfortable. So you see, like, oh, grandma's been taking care of them for the last three years. So parents have gotten just kind of used to, and it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe your kid's six years old, but he could have had therapy for the past three years. Um, There's, for example, at two months, a typical two-month-year-old will share eye gaze with you. So it's mutual gaze, right? They'll look back at you. They'll reciprocate. So you smile, they smile. You act surprised, they act surprised. Um, These kids that, a lot of these kids that get the diagnoses, they're 18 months, 20 months, 24 months, they will not look at you smile at them and you do it. They don't do anything back. So that's a really strong kind of detector of, oh, um, I think your, your, your kiddo has autism. Um, the other ones who kind of not fall through the cracks but aren't diagnosed right away, it's they haven't been forced, they haven't been pushed to be in social situations. So um, as opposed to, or haven't been offered a lot of toys to play with. So a lot of these kids, they don't, it's not that they don't know how to play with toys, but they also don't have a lot of toys to play with. And that's the great thing about coming to a clinic. And there's like, there's toys everywhere, all over every single wall, because it's like, we have to get you to play with something and we need to teach you how to play. Um, or we, they'll come in and, um, they haven't been, instead of, you know, going to the public pool like they normally would, um, they, 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 they stay inside. They don't go away. They don't, they don't go to Walmart together. Mom just goes to Walmart and they have to call grandma or dad or maybe somebody to come in and, you know, they don't push them. 
So then once it's like, okay, this kid's like five, six years old, like he has to go to Walmart with me. There's nobody to watch him. Then it's kind of like, oh, oh, this is, this is a problem. You know, um, he can't stand to be around people. He, he can't stand to, I wanted to take him to a birthday party, but he bit the birthday boy. And now, I, now I don't ever want to go back, you know? So a lot of these kids aren't pushed. Um, and then once they are, um, that's kind of when they're like, a lot of it's in denial at first. And then they kind of, they're kind of like, okay, um, WhatsApp doctor, you know? And so then, so then it's like, they go to the doctor, the doctor will refer them to like a neurologist and they'll make the official diagnosis. Yeah. Neurologists are typically the ones who make the diagnoses or, um, psychiatrists. How does a neurologist make a diagnosis of autism? What do they look like? I don't know how the diagnosis process goes exactly. Actually, um, I, I'm, I'm not quite sure. Yeah. I had a two-part question. One was for the mom where you were saying she was having trouble understanding autism. Like, how do you explain to someone who maybe isn't familiar with it at all? Like, what's the basic explanation? Because you're saying, like, there's this huge range of behaviors. And yes. it seems like yes. it's sort of challenging to kind of capture all that in, like, a definition. Yes, absolutely. Um, it always depends on how this person is, right? So she... Um, she is very kind of hard to work with because one, we're working with somebody who's completely in denial. She thinks her little boy is the sweetest, greatest thing, but she also really resents him because she wants to give him a kiss and he won't kiss her. Um, he can't even, he can't even be hugged. He hates, he can't, we're, we're working on it and now he can, he, he can be tickled and stuff like that, but he used to not even be able to hold your hand or anything. Um, so this is a, a parent, for example, where, we tried and tried and, you know, he's going to need um, support for the next couple of years. And mom is like, he's, he's going to need ABA probably for, at, I mean, for the rest of his life, I would say, or some sort of support system. Mom would come in um, once every two weeks and say, um, okay, so is he going to be fine to go to school by next year? Is he going to, and we're like, oh my gosh, wait, I thought we, we had just gone over, she forgets, she's in denial. She forgets what we told her. She, she's not listening. She's not listening. And she's very, she's very an interesting person. She, she's all about herself too. And so she, she's a very interesting person. But you, we're dealing with, you know, a, a person that's in denial. And, and we spent weeks of every week saying very nicely, um, you know, uh, he's going to need a lot of support. She's like, when is he going to start talking? I need to know when he's going to start talking. When is he going to be, when is he going to be cured? And we're like, well, this isn't that sort of, and so it was weeks of um, weeks of saying he's not going to be cured. He's going to be treated, you know, for a long period for um, period of time. We're helping him out, but hey, like we're making you also don't want to discourage them, right? You're, you, we say, hey, but he's making progress. He's looking at you. He's reaching for you. He's asking. Um, so kind of going about it that way um, until you have to just. We had to break it to her. Um, she was like, okay, so is it going to be fine to go to school next year after months of the same conversation? And um, my my supervisor had to be like, look. And she grabbed the owner and the owner was like, look, honey, he's going he's gonna to need support for the rest of his life. He's not going to be able to go to school next year or the year after. And, and she had to be really, really harsh because it was like, wow, we've been trying to tell you this every week for three months. And you're asking the same question that you did three months ago. So... Um, it's, it, it can vary. It can be very different um, for a personality type like that who's in denial. 
um, you have to be very, very harsh, or we had to be. Um, so it, it, it'll, it can vary. It so can vary. how would you define autism, I guess, like just if you're meeting somebody who maybe has no stake in it one way or the other? I would just... probably say um, they have a really hard time communicating because of this. Um, they tend to go to maladaptive behavior um, or if I'm talking to like just, you know, like I'd be like, he has a really hard time um, communicating his wants and his needs and what he wants to say or what he needs. Um, and so he tends to um, go to other behaviors like biting himself and falling on the floor. Um, and he doesn't really want anything to do with um, other peers or other people. Um, so we need to make sure that we are associating peers and people with um, good things. And that's why we try to get them to request. That's like, so after the adaptive, I think you asked about the, what's the first thing you do? It's like the adaptive is the accepting, no, wait, whatever. With that, it's always paired with requesting. So that's the first thing that we're doing because we're trying to say like, hey, I'm cool. You want, you need things from me. Because if they were, if it were up to them, they would just function independently on their own and be in their room all day long. And, but it's, that's not how the world works. You know what I mean? That's not, and that's our job, um, is really to be like, people are great. You need people to be successful. Um, but yeah, I went on a little rant. But yeah, and so I'd be like, you have, they have a hard time communicating. Um, and we need to replace these behaviors with, um, with more, better behaviors, right? So instead of, instead of the rocking, we're going to show them how to um, either run around or we're going to show them how to play with things. So it's a lot of, that's what I would probably say to a parent or and to somebody. The other question I have is related to, so like, I know, uh, for example, one of the improv theaters in town had, like, a class, I think, for kids with autism. Mm -hmm. I wonder, like, how art or theater or things like that have you seen mm -hmm. not be effective and, like, how they're doing that versus what you guys do to help? Um. I, 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 I'm always very, very supportive of um, combining therapies. So do it all, do what you can. Um, it's just not, some parents are great. Some parents are amazing and they try everything and they've tried this diet and they tried this and they're in OT and they're in speech and they're in behavior, and, but a lot of parents don't know what to do. Um, so as I, it's my job to support um, scientifically kind of proven therapy um you know a, there's a, a, a parent that came in i'm um, talking about how she's trying aromatherapy with him and i'm not going to say that that hasn't been proven to work right. what i'll say is okay um all right have you seen any changes no not yet okay well um if there's and we won't practice them here in the clinic right mm -hmm. Um, but let me know how it goes. I support you. Um, how, you know, how's this, how's this new scent? Is he, did he sleep better? He did? Okay, great. Right. So we're very supportive. We're not going to say don't do that. That's, we'll, we'll, we'll be very supportive. Um, but it's important for us to know. So we're mindful of, you know, the sorts of things that, that are happening. Could you feel like art there. and theater would fall into that category of like using scents? Is it that um, away from actually being beneficial or is it actually... Helpful, what you guys are doing. I I think it would be very helpful um, because there's a lot of aspects in that to where so for example like taking just like the art or the therapy or the um, 
with theater, mm-hmm. for example, you're having them, you're exposing them to social situations, which is essentially what we're doing, right? Um, so I, I completely support it. Um, alone, I don't know. You know what I mean? So it's like pair it with something else. Pair it with ABA. Pair it with in-home therapy. Pair it with, pair it with something else is kind of how I would go about it. It sounds like the parents like need to play a pretty integral role. Do you have like a formal setting where you try and explain like sort of the paradigm you use or like some of the techniques and why and like like how yeah like how much time are you teaching the adults not enough time um yeah they'll come in um it's 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 kind of a, a funny classic little it's insurance kind of it runs by insurance right so um assurance insurance requires at least one hour or they they only require once a month um, but it's like, no, this parent needs to come in more than once a month. So then that's where it gets kind of tricky for us. Um, and if we feel like we need to provide more therapy, then we will. Um, but then that gets kind of tricky because it goes into um, relationships, you know, like exploitive, exploitative relationships where you're kind of helping where you shouldn't be. It's a professional thing. Um, but they come in, um, most of them come in an hour a week. They come in, we let them know how they're doing, we want to know how they're doing at home, um, and we have to take steps. So sometimes they come in and look, sometimes they can come in right off the bat and jump in and model what we're doing because they're very responsive. Sometimes they don't take our, our, they don't take our feedback. Um, and so we're, we're sitting there like, okay, um, wait till he looks at you. Kids like this, and she's like, bubbles! And we're like, you need to wait, just hold on, just wait until he makes eye contact with you and then go. Kids like walking around, she's like, bubbles! And we're like, I had to be like, oh, here, put it, put it down. Just put it down for a second. And then this is, this is like, you know, and then the kid finally like looks at her and she's like, he, he just, he just looked at me. He just, and I was like, blow the bubbles, blow, <laughs> blow the bubbles. So, um, you know, you've got some kids, some parents that are a lot more responsive than others and some that need more assistance than others. Um, but we try to get them in um, at least an hour, at least an hour a week. Yeah. Excuse me, if you heard of this thing which is anecdotal that uh, supposedly in Silicon Valley over time, over 40, 50 years, mm-hmm. uh, People who have, you know, basically married, uh-huh. uh, there's a higher percentage of kids, uh, you know, maybe the parents already were high-functioning, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, so supposedly the proportion of kids uh, with those issues is higher in the Bay Area, and I'm assuming Boston is also a place where, you know, you have a lot of, you know, mental workers and, you know, people who work in the software industry and things like that, so as opposed to, the, I don't know. West Texas, you know, some towns. So, is there any study which you know studies the concentration of uh, what places you know you would find higher proportion of people with these types of issues? Um, more industrial cities um, have more services. They tend to, um, but they're they're popping up. It's great. It, it's a uh, because it's it's going to provide a lot of jobs because it's increasing right autism is increasing so we see the rate increasing and because of that there's a there's going to be a career path there's going to be careers for people um, so they're they're popping up but I mean if you 
for example, I mean, I can't give you statistics of like number of clinics here and compared to compared to like some podunk city in Montana or something, right? But it's um it's a, it's a lot less. So um and even internationally, um they're thankfully um getting we're we're moving we're moving forward as a whole because I think a lot of people a lot more people are asking about autism and asking you know exactly what is it because instead of just asking and then getting a bunch of different responses and still being and like walking away from the conversation and being like oh, I still don't really know what it is um, people are but but why but but what is that what would you tell a parent I don't really get it because of all those questions I think um, people are are doing more research and then creating more clinics in cities that um, didn't, not even five years ago. So. This is the second Molotov seminar on autism. Mm -hmm. And the first one was given by an autistic kid. That's amazing. Yeah, but I mean, it's, it's like, I mean, if he didn't told you, if he didn't tell you in most brief interactions, mm -hmm. he wouldn't even know that he was autistic. But he did kind of do a rundown of the, all his. Um, did he kind of go into sensory and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, he's the. That's the first time I learned about what stimming is. Mm -hmm. uh, we were in the same class together. It was the meditation class. Mm -hmm. It was Manuel Diaz. I don't know if you remember. Mm -hmm. Anyway, he sat in the back. One time I noticed him in class. He was like, "Oh, I can't deal with this." Mm -hmm. Anyway, but uh, he is. Uh, a member of this group called Texas Neurodiversity. Okay. And he's the author of a blog called Neurodivergencia Latina. Okay. Um, and he has like, a, he, he's very well connected to a lot of people. It was the most, uh, uh, I mean, the, the turnout was the biggest among all Molotov seminars. Amazing. I started finding posters for this Molotov seminar that I hadn't put up <laughs> yeah. around campus in the psychology building. Like, okay, this guy is, this guy is going to be good for <laughs> Molotov. Anyway, Amazing. I asked him to come to this. I don't think he got the message in Okay. Time. Anyway, I was just... Oh, I wish he would have. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I've seen um, a few because I go to the... To the conferences each year, um, and so I've seen some. Um, actually, one speech given by um, a, a guy with autism um, that he's gotten a lot more. He's gotten a lot better, mm -hmm. but that was huge for him to go in front of a you know a room of like 200, 250 people um, and give a speech. Was I mean I, I cried the whole time, but um, <laughs> but yeah no that's amazing. Amazing. I wish I wish you could have made it. What is stimming? Stimming. Um, so it's repetitive behaviors, patterns of um, a lot of uh, people with autism. Sorry, my allergies. Um, have have this quality or characteristic. Um, and a few stems. Like so I'm thinking of my clients. Right. One of my clients um, does this all day long. And he finds it very, very, very reinforcing. Um, there's a study that I read a couple years ago that would equate it to masturbation, which is very interesting. Um, so that's always, to me, I've always been interested in that part. And um, man, it's very, very hard to, it's very hard to compete with. It's very hard to intervene um, because it's automatically reinforcing, right? 
Um, so we, we try to give them replacement behaviors. So instead of doing this, we'll be like, here, try this, right? So it's a lot more socially acceptable, more like, but you still have an outlet, um, for example. Um, another kid um, loves to, the, one of the kids that came in just spitting left and right because he loved to watch things fall, right? So he's like, like hugs a loogie and then just like stays there and he looks at it like, and he looks at it like this, like he'll just be like, and I'm like, what are you feeling? What are you, what could you possibly, you're in bliss right now. So we'll give him the replacement behavior of like, um, he'll do that and we'll be like, here, we'll give him a, you know, like a spray bottle with water in it. We'll be like, here, spray it. Um, so instead of doing that, we'll block that and then quickly go into that. And so then that's sort of the replacement behavior because that's a lot better than spitting and then staring at it. And then we fade it out. So then it's like, okay, instead of doing this every single time you do it, now you get to work for it. So now you get to, um, you know, you, you have to earn your tokens or do whatever it is, um, do this amount of steps, and then you can get this. And then it's like, oh, no, we can't work for this, but you can work for this. And so it's kind of like replacement behavior um, and then kind of fading it back. But, yeah, it's a repetitive, it's repetitive behavior. So, so in that process, would, would you ever run into a problem where, they would revert back to the original behavior. Like, mm -hmm. say, once you're like withholding the object yes. that's not replacing it, you're like, oh, screw that, let's go spit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yes. Are there any like uh, research into like drugs or like you know that kind of intervention that is being you know worked at? Not specifically for autism, like no. Pharma, no. Like, no. Um, a lot of kiddos have ADHD, and yeah. so they're given that. Um, we personally advise to hold off as, as long as possible. Um, and um, we are required to say, this isn't exactly my area of expertise, um, but if we can slip in, um, maybe wait a little bit, then we do. Um, just to see, you know, just let's see if this works without meds first. Um, but specifically for autism, is there a medicine? No. No, go ahead. Uh, I can say, like, on the highest end of the spectrum, like, are there people that you encounter who are just like living pretty much normal life because they're so high functioning that, like, for example, I didn't see the talk, but it seems like there could be people where you wouldn't even know. Or, I mean, how would have you seen a lot of examples of that? I guess, um, there, there are, there are, um, there are a few. I mean, I had one client. We got him out in two years, which is amazing. And he came in, I mean, it's not like he was very low functioning, but he did this all day long. He just like wanted to walk everywhere. Anytime you'd present kids or you'd say, um, here, we're gonna go play tag with our friends, he would just break down, right? Didn't know, wasn't talking quite yet. He'd just be like, and, and in two years, we got him talking. We got him talking in full sentences. We got him playing with friends. Um, we did, um, we used like a, because uh, he didn't want anything to do with them. Because he didn't know, and it's not exactly, like yes, they're a lot, but he also doesn't know what to do with them. So we would have him watch. So we'd be like, hey, you can either go play tag, or you can sit and watch. He'd be like, sit and watch. Like he's like, as long as I don't have to go in there. And then he starts watching, and he starts learning. Oh, like this kid talks this kid, and they play here, and then they start laughing, and then they like go, you know. And so then, uh, over time, 
he would be like, he'd like stand up, you know, and I'd be like, come on, let's go, let's go play. Um, and he, I love, I loved him so much. I love him so much. Um, and he, after two years of intense therapy, so 40 hours a week, no school, um, mom's a teacher. And so she was like, I really want him to go to school. And we were like, give us one year, give us one year with him full time, including summer, everything. Um, and, and then, and then you can, you then just, you can take him. And he's in, um, gen ed now where he was supposed to be put in. He was, they were planning on special ed. Um, he, when he first exited, it was like part gen ed, part special ed, and now he's in full gen ed, and um, he's doing really well. He's playing soccer, and which he had a lot of balancing issues, um, so now he's playing soccer. He's doing doing really, really, really great. Really great. Um, the spectrum really is so wide that it, I can't say um, that, yeah, there's, there's tons of these cases. I will say, though, that the earlier that they get intervention, the the likelihood of them being successful or independent is is much higher. Yeah, because that's something about people you might encounter at work or something where you're like, this person is difficult, but maybe they're on the spectrum and people don't know, or maybe they were never diagnosed and just think they're a difficult person, but mm-hmm. they have some kind of challenge that maybe we're not aware of. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, they've either done a good way of, they've been taught how to deal with it, um, cope with it. They're, they've been, they've learned. Mm-hmm. They've learned that, you know, Doing certain things is socially awkward, so they've been taught to do something maybe a little bit less socially awkward, or or something like that. Mm. Yeah. So it sounds like um, interacting with peers is a pretty integral part of the, the therapy. Where are you getting the other kids? <laughs> <They're>, <laughs> so there's some that are more like higher functioning than others, um, and so they're they're they tend to be not separated but they tend to play with each other but every once in a while if i have a if there's a kiddo that's a little bit higher functioning has more language um we'll be like can we can we use you for a few minutes um and we'll play and kind of work that way and then that kiddo who has a lot of language you know this one doesn't um can still learn by tapping the kid you know and and it's a little bit harder because the kid's not always going to respond right away right and so this kind of models the behavior of a kid who wouldn't respond right away, so we can teach him that way. Mm-hmm. You would still, you'd still benefit from each other. So, so it's mostly all kids in the program that are interacting. Yes. Okay. Yes. 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 It's all it's all kids um, in the program or like in therapy. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we're like, if a um, therapist or yeah, therapists have kids and they're like, oh, they're bring him in and so they'll, they'll bring him in and, and we we use the hell out of them like, um, but yeah so but for now for the most part yeah we're using kids in the clinic anything else no okay thank you so much for listening thanks for visiting us today in the room of lives Take care until I see you next time.